Thanks for joining me. I've been challenged to watch a Doctor Who story and to see if I can guess what it is that my special guest particularly likes about this one. Welcome to Happy Times and Places, with me, Toby Haydock, and my special guest, writer Simon Guerrier, who has chosen Evil of the Daleks for us to watch, and we're up to episode three. Well, welcome back. It's episode three, and the Daleks are about to embark on their dastardly plan as we freeze again and watch a reconstructed version of Evil of the Daleks. I am about to press play in three, two, one, now. Um, excellent. Um, so we're back to stills, which is a which is a real shame. Isn't it interesting that episode two, which is the episode that exists, is is it the only one that hasn't got any filmed material in it? And film material is, of course, where the money is, you know, and it's often in episode one to you know get people hooked into the story. Uh, now you see they've gone Evil of the Daleks by David Whittaker episode three, whereas the moving episode went episode two by David Whittaker. Now that may have been an anomaly. Uh, who knows? Uh, now, I do know that this cliffhanger was refilmed because they've got an extra Dalek on set. So, so uh, you would have had its eyes would have glowed, and uh, Gerald Taylor would have done his acting. Um, <clears throat> and the thing I didn't say about uh, the 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 Lost in Time set of 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 having. Uh, those episodes is that of course when I'd collected the the, the single episodes which I love doing because it, it again it was like getting a, a glimpse at part of one of the Dead Sea Scrolls because you couldn't see the rest of the story and I found that fascinating that window into the past but when I first started collecting this episode did not uh, episode two of Evil of the Daleks did not exist um, so when the Lost in Time set came out I, I had got Evil 2 by then and in not bad quality but but nonetheless seeing them on lost in time all cleaned up whereas when when a lot of those old episodes when you got them bootlegged sorry that was the only way to get them in those days um you know it looked like they were bad photocopies that had been slashed by zorro you know because you know ter terrible quality but again that was part of it actually seeing through the the mer i actually think I, 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 in much the way that you know the telesnaps coming back for this episode have given us sight of Arthur Terrell, for example, um, who, who we otherwise didn't have pictures of. Um, uh, 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 is that gradually bits bits come back and, and, and fill our knowledge. H having seen the episodes first in really bad quality, I then got an extra boost when I saw them in, in really good quality, you know. Um, uh uh, and then having listened to murky soundtracks to then see a reconstruction you know at least it's a it's a sort of dimension it's a sort of feeling of it and then, then i'm sure well you know i'm for not this episode but other episodes i've since then seen you know animated versions of or or reconstructions that are you know have been done a, a, again and aren't on vhs but are on the on the dvd so each time you know you see something new or something becomes clearer 
and and I love that. It's like you when you're an archaeologist, you know, you 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 know, you paint away, don't you? Gradually uncovering layers. And that's a bit like being a, a a Doctor Who fan. Is that every time you, you know, every time something new is discovered, our understanding increases, but our experience of it is therefore um, improved. I mean, I, there's, a, there's a number of stories that I thought looked looked much better, having seen them in really tarted up uh, quality. I'm I'm interested in these these episodes though because as I say the um, there's a long fight, um, uh, but of course of course it's filmed at, it was filmed at Grimsdyke House which is the house of Gilbert or Sullivan Gil I'm going to say Gilbert I think um, of of Gilbert and Sullivan I always have to I always nearly say Gilbert O'Sullivan there is a pop star called Gilbert O'Sullivan. Saying I saw got matrimony, he's and he's still about, um, but it always confused me as a kid because people would talk about Gilbert and Sullivan and Gilbert O'Sullivan and Gilbert <laughs> Gilbert O'Sullivan isn't really called Gilbert O'Sullivan, so he's obviously named himself to go. I will be reminiscent of Gilbert and Sullivan, who wrote HMS Pinafore and all the other things. Um, there's a great thing on this recon using actual shots from the house and a. Uh, uh, and a practical Dalek prop to sort of ape uh, what what we would have seen, and from from the evidence of the telesnaps, they're not they're not entirely, you know, inaccurate. They've gone into a lot of detail, um, and actually, I think we we sort of lose that in our assessment of evil of the Daleks is is how effective this house will have been because filming's a big deal in Doctor Who, and you wouldn't go to film at a location unless it was really going to enhance. The production, if and if we think about, you know, a lot of the location filming in, in Doctor Who, this, that's what this house was. But it was making use of a, a big, beautiful house. And because we don't have any of that in in Episode Two, I think that would be something that, when it comes back, would give it a real extra dimension. Um, but I'm still thinking about Ickle, but O'Sullivan. I'm to think, what's like? I could call myself Rogers Roger O'Hammerstein. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Uh, <laughs> um, Gilbert O'Sullivan. Anyway, so I've been to Grimsdyke House. There's a very posh restaurant there. I was taken by Steve Roberts from the restoration team, actually, who of whom it's a favourite haunt, and, and said, "Should we go to Maxtable's house?" And there was a few Doc Two fans there. It was a it was an evening where a few and and, and my life prior to my one man show, Marseille, my Doc Two scarf was I didn't really hang around with Doctor Who fans at all. I was I was part of fandom very briefly um, before I went to university, but only for a, for a short time. But I, I've never really not really part of organised fandom. Um, it was unusual for me to have Doctor Who fan friends, apart from brief periods. So so suddenly in later life to be going to Maxtable's house with you know people whose names I'd read on the internet, Steve Roberts among them, it's, it's become a friend. Uh, it's a very interesting later chapter in my life, having not had that that early thing of being a doctor. You know, I discovered Doctor Who was very much a lone pursuit. I lived in the countryside in the middle of nowhere. Um, and I, I got holds of loads of old Doctor Who magazines, courtesy of a friend of a friend. He was the one Doctor Who fan I knew, but he lived in Wolverhampton, which was miles away, but he kindly lent me all of his own Doctor, old Doctor Who magazines, which was a real education. Uh, so again, I pieced together my my Doctor Who knowledge and I soaked it up and I wasn't one for outsides 
So I was inside, you know, I would go, why don't you go outside and get some fresh air? Why would I do that? I've got dusty old Doctor Who magazine. Oh, Kemmel, uh, Sonny Caldenez, bending a metal bar um, to prove his strength. That would have been uh, uh, just a nifty, simple thing to do, but that would be impressive. And he's got, from that shot, his muscles great. Now, a friend of mine told me that Kemmel, that Sonny Caldenez, uh, Kemmel, uh, if it wasn't the all-in wrestling, because Sonny Caldenez was a wrestler, um, uh, once actually did wrestle as Kemmel, um, because, you know, wrestlers, they, they, they assume sort of characters. And I don't know if he borrowed his costume or whether he did an approximation of his costume, but I'm sure I've not verified this, but, uh, 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 he's a, he's a friend I trust. Um, uh, he wrestled as the mighty Kemmel or whatever. So is, is that the first time a, do a, a Doctor Who character has then got a, a, a life? <laughs> outside of Doctor Who in another medium. So the mighty Kemmel has done the, if not the all-in wrestling. We God, we used to watch the wrestling on a Saturday afternoon like a re religion. Uh, I remember it was a... It, 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 uh, it was like finding out about Santa Claus when somebody told me it was all fixed. Um, for those of you not in the UK, the, uh, yeah, well, you know wrestling because you have the... The WWF and all of that. Ours wasn't quite as glamorous or as as hammy. Well, it was quite hammy. <laughs> so yes, Kem now Kemmel. Oh well, Sonny Caldenez, of course, um, has a great history with Doctor Who because he comes back as various Ice Warriors. And of course, it's only when I did this as a as a book I did with Rob Sherman called Running Through Corridors that. Uh, it became apparent that two stories in a row, there's a strong, silent black man, which is a, a sort of cliche. And I, and I, you know, I think those predisposed so to do would see it as an example of, uh, you know, backwards thinking. But, you know, uh, 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 they're both actually good and benign characters. And there's no point yelling at history for for living within the moors of its own era. I think there's nothing to be achieved from that. And, and you know, the, and, 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 I, and, and, I, and I know from interviewing actors, and I've, I've spoken to an academic that interviewed a lot of black actors from the, the 50s and 60s who, who, who said they were, you know, they were treated very well. And although, gosh, in Quetta, I found some paper mac paperwork for Quatermass and the Pit and there's a black actor in episode one Lionel Ngokane uh, who went on to be a great man of the theatre in South Africa but was based in the UK he was South African based in the UK and on the paperwork it says in the dressing room allocation he has a separate dressing room and it says note um, you know and it, it uses the word coloured which you wouldn't use you know became out of date very quickly coloured actor give give own dressing room or something like that and you go you know is is that just well that's for various various reasons but it's quite sobering when you read that and you know and i, I talked to a modern tv producer friend of mine i mentioned it and she went well that's the producer's fault the producer's out of order and I went, the producer was was a was a jude an austrian jude escaped from hitler so i uh, you know i think things are a bit more complicated than that and i think we Again, there's a tendency to yell at history to make ourselves look good, which I think is fruitless, um, and it's a it's a not it's a it's a non-spendable currency. Uh, 
I, you know, and there's the. In fact, Maria Scoring, interestingly, was described to me once by a, a fellow actor as right of Genghis, uh, and he did. In fact, he did. He lost a lot of money because he was high up in equity, and he took equity to court a, a couple of times. But I remember he, he 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 did lose a lot of money because he took equity to court about selling programs to South Africa, apartheid South Africa, uh, and that was interesting because as a as a kid. I mean, we didn't have Jaffa oranges in our house because the apartheid regime was, you know, a, a, a terrible thing. Uh, and, uh, um, and you know, we would not support it as a, as a, as a household we, by, by, via the medium of shopping. That's what you did in those days. And, uh, and so equ and equity were of, a, you know, were of a similar view. They didn't deal with apartheid South Africa it would be seen to be supporting the regime if you sold British television programs featuring actors from British equity to that to South Africa whereas Goring was of the opinion that um, you know politics shouldn't get in the way of equity members making money through foreign sales which is a you know which is a a, 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 a position to take that is you know it's easy to go oh well then he was a racist well or he just thought, or he was a pragmatist. I don't know. I don't agree with him, but I'm also not quick to throw around the epithet racist. And also, well, his wife, Lucy Mannerheim, was, a, was again a German Jew who'd escaped from Hitler. So people are complicated. Uh, but yes, poor old Marius. To, 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 he, uh, and, and, the, and one of the people who um, spoke very much against him was, was a black actor from Doc 2, Louis Mahoney, uh, who, as I record, this died not that long ago. Um, and, uh, and I remember reading about it at the time and thinking of Ponty from Planet of Evil and Theodore Maxtable uh, arguing with each other and it gave it a whole Doctor Frisson for me. Uh, I actually met Marius Goring. He was in a production of... Ah... Uh, what was it called? A play... Wasn't dangerous corner, but it was something like that. And Agatha Christie with Michael Cashman off of Time Flight and EastEnders, and now the House of Lords, and uh, Marius Goring, and Glyn Edwards, Dave from Minder, who was never in Doctor Who and should have been a good actor. Um, and I met Marius Goring. He had a little dog, uh, and I had a crap biro. So I have Marius Goring's autograph in one of my Doctor Who books in in knackered biro, uh, and it was before the days of I didn't have a camera. So I couldn't get a snap or anything. But I met Maria Scoring very briefly. Uh, I've never met Joe Robottom. She is the mother of a friend of a friend of mine. And he did try to get me an interview. But apparently she's not she's not keen to talk about her acting career. Which went on for, you know, a lot of actresses dropped off the radar quite early. But she she was in a sitcom, Romany Jones, which with James, with James Beck, uh, who was... Thought of for Toby. Interesting. Um, and was appearing in stuff, you know, well after I knew that she was in Doctor Who. I'd see her pop up in things like the Bill and stuff. And she has got a lovely quality. But do, do, it, some people just don't want to talk about their their, their careers, um, which is totally understandable. It's a shame because I always think of them as the ones that got away, especially if they're known to somebody. Uh, but of course, we think that people's memories of you know four weeks or whatever spent doing a doctor who well oh, that, that, you know that that's that's precious information well i mean if you ask me what i did in march 1992 i would have no idea 
Yeah, but what about those people you knew then? Yeah, maybe, vaguely. Um, but I'd still like... I'd still like to chat to Joe Robottom because I think Molly Dawson's lovely. Uh, she's a great character and she's great companion material because she's quite feisty. She's... Oh. oh, this is a great scene. Doctor being mean to Jamie. Oh, I, I remember there was Doctor Who magazine after they were sort of running out of things to do in Doctor Who archives. They did a, a, a series called Nostalgia. It was another way of packaging, looking at a story. But I remember they, they talked. To, nobody talks about nostalgia anymore. Nostalgia ain't what it used to be. I thought it was called Nostalgia. This is great. And, 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 and we, we know and love Fraser Hines because he's very funny. And he's always game to give a scene a, a bit of extra comic energy. And his rapport with Trout and his comic rapport with Trout and his gold. But he's great in this. And, and, and he's, you know, this is, we've only just lost Ben and Polly. And this is, you know, them suddenly exploiting this great dynamic they have between these two men. Uh, and Fraser Hines rises to the occasion. Um... Uh, and the Doctor is at his most sort of manipulative and Machiavellian. And again, it seems like we're in part of an epic. You know, companions and Doctors, you know, having a big schism doesn't happen that often. And look, at I mean, even that shot of the, do the Doctor pointing, I don't know if that's from that scene, but that's a great telesnap. Yeah, I'm sick to death. This is Jamie is pretty fiercely crossed. That is a fantastic scene, and again, it really feels like you're getting to the to the guts of the show. But of, but of course, the Doctor is manipulating him. That's what that's what's really interesting because Troughton is such a sort of joyful pixie. You know, he he scampers about and he capers like a like a child and he's got that sort of innocent glint that he has but underneath it all is a guy who contemplates terrible things and you can tell he's seen terrible things it's a terribly multi-layered performance and we uh, and we never quite let the doc if we don't want to we don't actually quite need to let the doctor off the hook for how he behaves in this this episode because he is manipulative Uh, Windsor Davis and Gary Watson as Arthur Terrell. Gary Watson is another actor that's well, he's not turned me down. I got his email address. He lives in my hometown, uh, which I discovered when I was doing a play, and another actor in the play uh, was instead of staying in a local hotel, he was staying with his friend Gary Watson. Uh, I said I didn't know Gary Watson lived here, uh, and he said, "Oh yeah, yeah, because he, uh, you know, he, 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 he's retired now because he did all those voiceovers. Because Gary Watson was a brilliant uh, uh, voiceover man. In fact, I was told a story that he, because um, a friend of mine has interviewed him for for his Edcast thing, so he agreed. That's that's what really upsets me when somebody agrees to do an interview for somebody else, and then my friend gave me his email address and I emailed him and went, and, and you live not far from my mum. I'd love to come and do nothing." <laughs> So it's like, ah, so it's not that you won't be interviewed. You just won't be interviewed by me. <laughs> That's happened with a few people. I never remember I could never get a letter back uh, uh, from Norman Jones, who played 
Kree Song in uh, The Abominable Snowmen and uh, he's in Doctor and the Silurians and he's in The Mask of Mandragora. Uh, and I was like, well, he's obviously one of those actors that just doesn't reply to people. And I tried a couple of different attempts and a couple of different angles. And uh, and then somebody else I know, he got, he got a really chatty reply from. I was like, what did I do wrong? Um, but anyway, Gary Watson is uh, alive and well and living not far from my mum. But he... Uh, he basically retired because he does all, he did all the voiceovers uh, for for the adverts. A very a, a really good service, and it was in those days where you could earn a lot of money from voiceovers because you got paid properly and you got proper repeats. I think this is the only episode that has an exterior shot of the house, which I've just seen, uh, and they did do yeah ex they did do an exterior, and I think this is the only one you see it in. Um, and uh, and is it, apparently Gary Watson's agent just rang him one day and said, look. Look, Gary, you've got so much co money coming in from your voiceover royalties. You, you can just stop if you want. And so he retired to a lovely market town and I hope is very happy. But I hope also will at some point consider uh, chatting to a local lad about Doctor Who. Um, he's another one that got away. Uh, and he's not... And it's interesting. You don't. There aren't many actors of that period called called Gary. Uh, it's one you sort of associate with, you know, eighties kind of earthy actors. Uh, but I think he's. I think he's posh. I think he's called Garraway or something. And it, so he's he's shortened he's shortened Gary to make himself seem less posh, which seems odd because you, your instinct is to think that actors will flower up their names. Although actually, there's an actor called. Norman Hartley, in, who's in The Invasion and The Time Meddler, who was, I think, Norman Greatorex or something. He had a brilliant name and changed it to Hartley. I think, there was, I think there was a period in the 60s when agents said, don't be too posh, son. I suppose because it's, it's the, the kitchen sink and all of that sort of thing, that to be seen as posh was to be seen as not genuine and not earthy enough. So, uh, so actors who, who ran the risk of sounding a bit posh had to suddenly go, no, man, I'm called John. I'm not called Balliol. <laughs> <laughs> what's bob short for rupertville um, uh, so yeah this is I, I my my image of of these so a lot of these episodes is is of um indistinct action but actually there's night filming here isn't there which is gorgeous and again I think we miss a lot of that because that's unusual. You don't get many, you get some nice nighttime scenes in studio and that's very nice to light. But nighttime location filming, I think would have looked quite special um, during this period. Although there is nighttime in Macro Terror as well, isn't there? But I don't know if that's on location. Um, uh so again, I think that I think that's oh so yes, Windsor Davis gets killed. Oh, but I think I think he's back next week as a corpse. <laughs> so <laughs> I think I talked about that in the last episode. About actors, yeah, Kennedy came back as a corpse. Windsor Davis comes back as a corpse. If you get killed close enough to the next the next episode, uh, you get another episode fee. Um, but yeah, I like the fact that Windsor Davis has been in uh, Doctor Who, and he's. One of he's the only person in the classic series of Doctor Who to be called Toby, and that was quite special to me because Toby is a rubbish name 
Uh, I don't mind it so much now. Now I hated it as a kid, but I was relieved I wasn't called Tobias because Tobias Vaughan is, of course, called Tobias. But I'm I'm not. I'm just Toby. I'm shortened. I don't really approve of that. I think I think you should give somebody a long name, and then if they if if they're jolly enough to have their name shortened, I don't believe in christening kids Charlie. The name is Charles. If they're if they're jolly enough, your people will call them Charlie. But other but you have to earn that. <laughs> But I was quite glad I was not called Tobias. I don't know how I feel about that now. Uh, anyway, yeah, this is all nice and dark and on film. And they'll have made good use of the house. And I suspect Derek Martinez will have shot it well because he makes, I mean, he makes a virtue of, I mean, even in Galaxy 4 when that came back. And it's, you know, there's some scenes that are potential to be quite dull. The way he frames all of his, and in, in, in Galaxy 4, it's basically got four women that look the same. But the way he keeps them in the picture and keeps the picture interesting so with the freedom that film allows him i i think this could have looked quite special in a way that we probably don't appreciate uh and this fight scene that is largely indecipherable to us um from this vantage point um i, I i'm i'm as i'm watching this this is only occurring to me now i'm confident will have been quite quite good oh and that's the episode ending so yeah Kemmel uh Kemmel there to confront Jamie although I've got a feeling isn't isn't that isn't the fight part of next week's episode ending as well I can't remember my as I say my my feeling about these next installments is that they're a bit of a lull so I hope that I am proved wrong because I'm enjoying this I'm I'm certainly uh Things are occurring to me that might not have done as I'm trying to sort of piece the pictures together. Uh, I like that. Very good. I hope you're enjoying Evil of the Daleks. I now have to choose something from this episode. Uh, the night... F I, do, I do like that, that night filming, that darkness... Uh, I think that looks I think that looks really impressive um, but I also like the argument between that's a classic scene isn't it the argument no I'd be naff to choose night filming wouldn't it I think there's night filming next week as well so I could, I could choose the night filming next week no night what's night no I'm going to choose uh that scene between Jamie and the Doctor because I haven't mentioned Fraser Hines and Patrick Troughton enough because that I just take for granted that they're brilliant but also because Fraser is so often the jolly comic stooge although he's you know he's, he does the the action stuff very well but that I think that's a more meaty scene for him that he doesn't get uh, uh, as many of so for that it's a real standout scene what has Simon Guerrier chosen he's probably chosen something to do with the fact that he's probably chosen something clever he's weaved a web no doubt my best thing about episode three of the Eve of the daleks is the argument between jamie and the doctor i actually think this is a mirror scene to the celebrated bit in tomb of the cybermen episode three where the doctor talks about his past with victoria in both that and this we're getting an insight into who the doctor really is and more devious, darker character, affected by stuff in his past, uh, a kind of 
shade to him that we haven't had before. There's an interview with producer Innes Lloyd from about this time, saying that they started Troughton Too Silly, but are trying to redress that in the programme. And I think Troughton and Fraser Hines really go for it in this scene. I think it's great. Yes. Uh, yes! I got it! I got the same as Simon. And it is. It's an amazing scene. Um, so... And it, and and it's it's weird because the the yeah the thing about the tra- Troughton being you know devious and uh, and a bit of a you know is he pulling people's strings? They never they're never particularly overt with it, but it's it's definitely there. Great stuff. Um, well, please join me for episode four of Evil of the Daleks, which um, because you know I'm doing this in the old fashioned way. After episode three, I'm going for episode four, uh, and we'll see what James' fight with Kemmel is like when you can't actually see it. Thanks for joining me. I hope you're okay. Um, Come back to my house soon. We'll polish off this adventure. Ta-ta. Thanks to my guest, Simon Guerrier, who typically was one of the first people on board with this podcast slash videocast because... He's just enthusiastic and very kind and helpful. And why wasn't I surprised, as I say, was when when he was one of the first people to uh, send me a package. And what a package it is. Not a coincidence he's chosen Evil of the Daleks because he has written an excellent book about it. It's one of the Black Archive books from Obverse Books. And he's gone into intense and, and certifiable detail Uh, as is the style of those excellent books, which I can heartily recommend from Obverse Books, The Black Archive. Number 11 is Simon's Evil of the Daleks. Happy Times and Places was presented by me, Toby Haydock, and my special guest was Simon Guerrier. The music was by Dave Gates. Special thanks go to Chris Boyle and the podcast artwork is by Dylan Patterson. My thanks to this episode's featured patrons Peter Adamson, Richard Byatt, Paul Carrington, James Gould, Joe Llewellyn, Nathan Moore, Nick Temple and Apollo C. Vermouth. Please go to www.tobyhadoke.com for more and don't forget to rate, thumbs up and generally be nice about this podcast everywhere you possibly can. It's easy for you and it helps me and I'll be very grateful. You can support these podcasts and any other of my broadcasting endeavours at patreon.com forward slash Toby Haydock and ko-fi.com forward slash Toby Haydock. Patrons get special goodies and advance releases and, of course, my eternal gratitude. Evil of the Daleks is available from the BBC as a narrated soundtrack. Episode 2 is available on DVD as part of the Lost in Time collection.
don't forget to subscribe to the official Toby Haydoke YouTube channel.